Hi, I'm Kevin McCracken, and thank you for letting Death by Incarceration hijack the Crawl Space Media Network feed. The following is a sample of our latest episode. If you enjoy it and want to be a part of DBI's mission, please make sure to head on over to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and listen, follow, and rate Death by Incarceration. After nearly 30 years in prison, Eric Riddick tonight is a free man. Just happy to see everybody. I'm happy to be here to enjoy my family. And uh, this is amazing. It's a little overwhelming. Riddick, now 51, still claims he had nothing to do with the murder of his best friend, William Catlett, in November of 1991 in Philadelphia. Did you kill Will Catlett? Lester first talked to Riddick from prison three years ago after hearing about his case from rapper Meek Mill after his release from prison. I never, ever think of human life. A guy I used to play uh, ping pong with every day, Eric Riddick. He had 27 years, and I always was interested in that. Like, man, how you still getting up every day? Knowing you've been in here for 27 years in this one building, never leaving out this building and shit, so... Uh, he was just explaining his story to me, and one day he got a piece of mail from, like, the Superior Court judges saying that, yeah, we know most likely you're innocent. Innocence Project estimates there's 20 to 120,000 individuals currently serving time in U.S. prisons for crimes they did not commit. Until May 28, 2021, Eric Riddick was one of those people. We hear time and time again about corruption, bad cops, and dirty dealings in the district attorney's office in Philadelphia in the 1980s and 1990s. Death by Incarceration will continue to investigate these stories as we hear of them. Eric is just one example of many of these cases. We're very, very grateful he came on the show. Your call to action this week is to call your local district attorney's office and find out if they have a conviction integrity unit. If not, ask why. If so, please bring a case that you know of to their attention. These are important steps in removing the stigma of incarceration and continuing the change that we see as possible. Thanks again to Eric, and thank you very much for listening to this compelling interview. My name is Eric Whitty. In 1991, a man named William Catlett lost his life in the streets of Philadelphia. He was a friend of mine. I was subsequently falsely accused by one individual that I never called the witness because he didn't witness me do anything. He lied on me for whatever reason. I went to trial, and because of the defects in the criminal justice system, the truth determining process was tainted by so many elements, ineffective assistance of counsel, prosecutorial misconduct, abuse of discretion by the judge, all the things that, when they work improperly, a lie or, or false accusation is unable to stand the scrutiny of that type of truth-determining process. But because those defects are so saturated in that system, you know, a lie, and like, like my case, like many other cases, was able to gain traction and, and manifest into a wrongful conviction, which in my case lasted for 30 years, approximately. I fought every day, but mainly it was the people, it was the grassroots, it was my family. We built the momentum up where as though, you know, the truth prevailed. Okay, so 
for 30 years, which we probably did 25 together around there. Yeah. I don't know how, how much of that time we did together. You never gave up. You always been involved with program. You always been involved trying to mentor the younger guys. However, what kept Eric ready, alive, spiritually, mentally, knowing the day-to-day routine of the prison system, get up for count, strip, being stripped naked, being harassed, placing solitary confinement, going through this horrific journey, right? This normally preserved as a punitive tool for people that really commit a crime. In this case, you was innocent. How do an innocent man or woman survive right. this system knowing they innocent and not get lost in that system and become part of that fabric? Well, for me, for me, even when I was younger, immature, into the nonsense, I was always a fighter. So it wasn't it was difficult, but it wasn't that difficult. It was it was me just understanding the need to like modify what was already in me. You know, I was actually offended because again, the guy that got the man, the brother that got killed was first of all was a good individual. I was really offended <laughs> that I was accused of taking his life. So that spark, that spark and that that inflamed that fight in me, that passion in me. I mean, from day one, the first time I was accused, when the first time I heard I was accused, I literally, first first feeling that I had, I was truly offended. Not that I was an angel out there, but again, that was a friend of mine. So when I walked into the courtroom, I was naive, and I couldn't imagine that I would be convicted of a crime that I didn't commit, but I was naive to the fact that the defects were so deep and so systemic and, and so much on a higher level than my understanding at that time that I literally walked in, put my head in the noose, unaware that it was a noose, and I was judicially lynched, right? In court, period. I was judicially lynched in court. But what kept me strong when that happened to me, I remember listening to my lawyer, and he going in. I used to go back to the holding cage. I'd be like, my lawyer, he he, he going in, right? Because I didn't understand the language of the law, so I'm thinking that he's, He's competent. He's saying powerful statements and all these things because I didn't know the law. And once I realized that he wasn't saying nothing, he was complicit. Then and there, when I got convicted, I said, I'm going to learn everything because you can only do what you know and you're vulnerable to everything that you don't know. So as you witnessed, once we both realized that, we start learning everything that we can get our hands on so that we wouldn't become victims of our ignorance of something. Period. Whatever it was, whether it's the law, whether it's politics, whether it's a false sense of spirituality, uh, lack of culture, identity, we start studying things. And, and, and that was strengthening our minds to be able to sustain through the oppressive, dehumanizing atmosphere of prison. And that's how we survived. Not me. You also. You came out worth something because we start picking up books, whether it was me telling you, Schwab, read this, or you coming telling me, read this. We were strengthening our minds. And that's the key right there. When you when you in any situation, one of the main life lessons is if it's not growing, it's decaying. That's the same thing with our minds. If we would have been running around playing basketball exclusively, sporting play exclusively, and I say exclusively because that's necessary too, you know, having that moment. 
But when you do that exclusively, your mind starts to deteriorate, and eventually you, you're not going to be able to withstand the dehumanizing elements of prison, especially a wrongful conviction. For me, it was all it was always, I want to liberate myself, get home to my family, but I want to prove that this is a lie. My conviction is a wrongful conviction. And what I, what I did, and this is one, one of the reasons why it was somewhat, it was very difficult, but it was also easy in the same time. Early on, I've already, I had already ruled out giving up. I already took that out of the, the toolbox or the box of consideration. That was already gone. So even under the most vicious administrative oppression, I didn't have the option of giving up because I already discarded that like 30 years ago. You know what I mean? It's certain things, I, you and I, we both did. We said we're not going to do certain things, even under these conditions that we've seen many people do. I mean, so the people that's listening to us, because what we try to do is bring people into the prison system through other people's stories. Break down a little bit what certain things mean, like the type of things that we decided. Even though we're serving life sentences, we're not going to engage in that type of shit. Break right. it down in the most simple form, what, what we mean, like... We're not going to do certain things because I want people to understand that when you're in the prison system, it's so easy, so easy to get caught up with the prison mentality that if, if you're not guilty, it make you feel like, well, you know, I must have did something to be here because I'm here. Well, let me say this. And so let's keep this. We're going to be real, right? Because this is the type of podcast where we have to be real. We wasn't perfect. Me and you, you and I, we we just stood shoulder to shoulder, right? And our immaturity, you know, and, and the drama and the stuff that's going on. Well, no, we yeah, we was part of the Nation of Islam. And you know and I know that being part of the Nation of Islam in the prison system, it, 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 it's a red flag automatic anyway, right? Automatic. How, however, we managed, we managed not only to take the teachings of Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan, to our benefit, we managed to shift, to shift our certain cell blocks and certain individuals around that they couldn't do to certain people what they were doing to other people. Right, you right, know? right. And, and, right. And, but, but you break it down. This is your time, brother. You break it down. Okay. Time here. Well, let me say this, because this is important based on your, in regard, in, 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 in context to death by incarceration, brothers that still serving that. When we was wrecking out, when we was when we was wrecking out on some nonsense, though it was those lifers. The same thing that's going on out in the streets. Initially, we was we was doing this. While me and you, you had a knife, I had a knife. We go in the yard, we addressing situations before someone. Ninety nine percent of the time was a, a rehabilitated lifer, right? That came to us that was able to speak our language. The same thing that's needed out here today, right? They spoke our language, so they made us say, "Look, why why are we gonna go stab this guy?" They gave us another alternative, but they spoke it in a language that wasn't corny. It was still, it still had swag to it. So it, it was appealing to our mindset at that time. And that's important to say before we get to the Nation of Islam part, that we was we was out of control too, until we ran across those stable elements in the form of lifers, rehabilitated lifers that don't have parole, right? They, they are the very solutions that society is looking for because it worked with us. You on a podcast now because of a lifer. Death by Incarceration was created to look at every aspect of the current criminal justice system. Each week, we will share stories intended to shed light on institutions that viciously target and harm marginalized communities, 
specifically communities of color. Brought to you by Crawlspace Media, Suave Gonzalez, and Kevin McCracken. Please listen, follow, and subscribe to Death by Incarceration wherever you get your podcasts.